Get the Annapolis Center. Do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Aries 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra right, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney, by what a show we have for you tonight. Uh, but first, let me introduce you to the members of the posse. Girls, get ready. Sit yourselves down. Get your fan. Get your mister. Get your big box of wipes, your, your big box of Kleenex, and your big box of wipes. You squeegee and you lube because he's here, the very famous Juan Juan. Juanny, how you doing? Hi, Mac. Hi, everyone. Especially the girls. <laughs> how are you tonight, Juan Juan, across the puddle in England? Glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere, actually. <laughs> okay, all right. When's the last time you had fish and chips? Today? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I think it was close to uh, noon. Noon. <laughs> okay, that's good. It's good breakfast food. Okay. Let me put my shades on and everything will make a little bit more sense. All right. Uh, so, anyway, we are waiting on our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Warren. Uh, but um, our security chief, Willie Club, not here tonight at the Celtics game. At the Celtics game. Celtics are like something like 29 and 3, and they're playing the San Antonio Spurs, and they're 3 and 29 or something like that. So, it should be a good game. Um, also, uh, no Coco tonight out there saving the world, but. Up there in upstate New York, oh, phew, almost gave it away. Up there in sideways New York, our favorite good witch, Raven. Raven, how are you tonight? Ray, Finn. Hi, my friends. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Okay. You're right. you you got snow. you got this big snowstorm that everyone in the Northeast got, right? Sure did. And um, and you have, a, uh, you have your hat on. Of course, I have to have a hat on. My my ears get very cold. I also have a blanket on, and really? I have like three layers of shirts on. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Some guys find that sexy. Um, also with us in the studio with is Yovo um, mechanic El Ronaldo. Well, hey Mac, how are you doing? Hello everyone. Okay. I haven't had fish and chips in a while, so I haven't I, either. I haven't either. But now I want. Them. I'm gonna have to go to the park lunch. I want it so bad. Park lunch or uh, the galley? One yeah. of the two. Uh, so anyway, well, we do have an interesting show for you tonight, I hope. Uh, Raven has a report in a little while on the Peoria State Hospital. Is that it? That is correct. Wow, huh? Must be a swinging place. Is it still open? Um, yes. Okay. But but no. N- yes, but no. Cool. explain. 
just what you need in a mental hospital. And then coming up after uh, a short break, we're going to have our good friend Dr. Bob is going to be on telling us what he's been up to lately. And uh, Chicago, very cool place. And um, Switch has a uh, report that we're looking forward to as well. So um, let me just start off the show by a couple things, okay, if you don't mind. Uh, first of all, we started this uh, last week. Uh, for anyone out there who uh, is listening and donates more than 20 bucks to Homes for Our Troops, okay, Homes for Our Troops is the official charity of the show. Anyone listening knows what they do. They build houses for our disabled veterans, and then when they're through building the house, they rip up the mortgage, they give them the keys, they give them the house, and these heroes can go out and uh, you know lead close to normal lives. Let me put it that way. And uh, so anyway, if you donate more than $20 to Homes for Our Troops, uh, put in the little uh, note that they uh, they give you a option to uh, add a note to your donation, put in there that you listen to uh, Mac Maloney's uh, Military Exiles, and uh, then you will receive, we will send to you an autographed copy of uh, one of my books. Not sure which one, but an autographed copy of one of my books. So 20 bucks uh, to Homes for Our Troops gets you free. Autographed copy of Mac Maloney's book. Just put yeah, that you listen to the show in the notes and then get in touch with us just to double check and uh, off we go, okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, next week we're going to be doing a special show on a book that um, I have coming out with our buddy Mike Zapula called – what is it? Oh, How to Dump a Body at Sea and Not Get Caught, the Al Ferrari story. Okay, how to how to dump a body at sea and not get caught? Yes, that's the name of it, folks. And uh, we're going to have a on-air book party this time next week with lots of uh, you know, guests stopping in. I guess you could say. Um, so uh, that'll be next week, and uh, the book will be on sale. Is on sale on Amazon as of uh, when you're hearing this. It'll be on sale. It had a big pre-sale, as it turns out. Uh, which is always good. But uh, officially it goes on sale by the time you hear it, this, January 18th, actually. And um, so uh, how to dump a body at sea and not get caught. That won't be the last time you hear about it, I'm sure. Uh, so anyway, let's see. Um, people have been writing in. Well, a lot of people writing in. Just so happy that Raven is back. I've sent you those emails. and She's blushing, but. They're so nice. I really appreciate it. People missed you. Um, let's see. And, uh, we, um, people have been uh, writing, uh, over the past couple of weeks, um, uh, about the music that is on at the end of the show. So what happens is, um, sometimes we don't come up to the, um, exact time that we, um, are allotted to put the show on. So that's one hour and no, it's 115 minutes. Sometimes when we get short of that, we add music at the end. People want to know. Well, the music's by the music is by Sky Club, which is a band that I'm part of, I guess you could say. Also, uh, with uh, Mark Poulin, um, Omni Castanel, who's Paul McCartney's sax player, and also um, uh, Elvis Costello's sax player, Chris Billius, who from uh, Bristol Recording Studios in Boston, very famous place. Uh, so that's Sky Club that you hear. I'm not sure exactly what titles, what songs they play, but thanks for writing in. Glad you like the music. We really appreciate the emails. Okay, all that's out of the way. Now, here's a couple of weird things I just saw on the news. So, this James Webb telescope, 
which they launched, you know, last year or so. It, it, it was like took years for it to launch. And um, they finally put it into space. Um, you know, let me break in here just to say, playing one one tonight is Dr. Bob Gross. Let's let's bring him one right now, please. Okay, let's put it. You know, thank you. <laughs> you one one. Well done, well done. You're gonna get nominated for an Academy Award for that, Dr. Bob. Yes. Huh? yes. You're the best one one there is besides the real one one. That's that's what they say. Yeah, is it really? Oh, <laughs> I was just trying to be nice. Oh, never, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. <laughs> so he's joining us tonight too, as well. And I just wanted to bring you in on this because I, I read this the other day and I'm saying, wow, what, what is going on here? We live, you know, this Webb telescope is just this unbelievably fantastic space telescope, telescope that can do so many things. It can see far into the universe and now they, they have to rethink, you know, how old the universe is. But it can also look at these exoplanets, which are planets that um, are like uh, most like Earth, you know. And it can look on these into these planets, and they can they can detect what kind of chemicals are in the atmosphere. All right, and if they detect carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide, uh, then that's going to be a big, big clue. That might be some kind of a civilization on that planet, because no matter where you are, it seems like you need those two things to survive. You also need oxygen. That's another thing. There has to be a certain amount of oxygen in the atmosphere for fire. I mean, no matter where you are, you're going to need some kind of fire combustion, so on and so forth. So it can do all these kind of different things. So what it did, too, is um, it helped confirm that out in way out in space, uh, actually 9 billion light years from Earth, they've discovered this thing that they've called a megastructure. Have you heard about this, Dr. Bob? This is in the past yes, two just weeks. Yes, a little bit, yes. And this thing is so enormous. Uh, let me. I had to write down the, the numbers. Okay, so, like, for instance, all right, the speed of light is 186 miles, 186,000 miles a second, okay? 186 miles, 186,000 miles per second. A light year is 6 trillion miles, okay? 6 trillion miles this thing which is actually a ring it's actually a ring is 1.3 billion light years long okay 1.3 billion light years long this thing it's a string of galaxies that are in a ring almost like a perfect circle and the fact one of the one of the things is is what's blowing their minds is that this thing is too big to exist because there are some principles, you know, in outer space, which is more or less everything is uh, homogeneous, as the kids say, okay? It's like the ocean. If you're in the middle of the ocean, when you look around you, all there is is water, okay? Right. You know, there might be, you know, deeper water somewhere. There might be shallower water, warmer water, but it's mostly all water. You couldn't suddenly have, you know, water in an ocean that goes up to 20 miles high, you know? It just wouldn't it doesn't work like that. That's what they thought space was like. And they just, they have no idea how all these, you know, and why would they go in a ring, which is kind of weird. And, you know, I mean, it's speculation, but there has been, you know, talk before that there are just unbelievably advanced civilizations out there that could literally harness galaxies for power. Yes. Think about that, okay? I mean, yeah. this isn't a new thing, but now 
they find this thing, and they actually found another one. There's another one about the same side, that, which they call the arc. And just the way that galaxies and the universe have come together and how they formed and stuff, I mean, you know, that's what people get doctorates about. But the thing is, is this thing and this thing called the arc should not exist. And they just go against every principle that we've had about outer space since, you know, like Einstein. So the thing is with technology is that, you know, this James Webb telescope, it's going to discover some cool things, but it's going to just blow a lot of things out of the water, right, Dr. Bob? Like a lot of yeah. old-time yes, physics. Yes, and then there's one after it that's going to, from the NASA is going to launch it, will even do more of a job. But there's stuff that's happening right now they never thought they'd find. Right, yep, yep, absolutely. And that's why I, I disagree with some of the scientists that are out there, even like Avi Loeb, yep. who say that they cannot, you know, the whole concept of alternate physics mm -hmm. well, i think you're going to have to put those into play because we only know about five percent of what's actually out there in the universe right it and, and see that's the thing is that so you have some kind of um i mean you know columbus discovers america there were still people back in europe a hundred years later denying that it happened because it's the old school is so hard to get rid of the belief system you know, yes. but this is, but things like the James Webb telescope makes you do that. Right. And, and it's very hard. You know, there's a lot of these attracted guys at colleges. They don't want to lose their job. They don't want to lose their tenure, come out and, you know, talk about something crazy. But there's this 1.3 billion light year megastructure out there that has no explanation. It should not exist. And in fact, like some of the, you know, the galaxies are moving faster and faster mm -hmm. away from each other. Right. Then they're supposed then to. Then they're supposed to. Yes, we we never we may never find extraterrestrial life because we they'd never get here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see that's that's the distance between is just so crazy that there's no way you're gonna you're gonna reach it with a rocket ship. You know, you have to find not, a way. Not that it's uh, going near the speed of light. You right. have to go near the speed of light to get here and to get to the next if you went to the speed of light from earth to the next star it's twenty nine thousand years so you know you have to come up with something that's just a better way of transportation so as i was um the other the other thing that we talked about uh you know what we'll do, why don't we take a quick break now because i see switchy has joined us his chauffeur has finally delivered him so why don't we take a quick break now and we'll bring switch in and we'll be back. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Miller Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. Hey, Mac Maloney fans. This is Pistol Pete, and I'm sitting here with the one and only Mac Maloney. Hi, Mac. Hi, Pete. Now, Mac, you've got a new book out called How to Dump a Body at Sea and Not Get Caught that you wrote with our pal, famous crime novelist, Mark Zapula. How did this whole thing come about? Well, Mark and I have this uh, mutual friend that we would go out uh, having beers with every once in a while, and he had the same 20 stories that he would tell us kind of over and over again. And at some point I said, you know, we should write these down. And we did, and it turned into a book. It's such a crazy title. How would you come up with it? Well, kind of the same thing. We're in the bar talking to this uh, friend of ours one night, and he just said, you don't know how to get rid of a body at sea and not get caught. And, of course, we didn't know. And so uh, he told us. And uh, the secret is in the book, but I can say that it involves a lot of chain-link fence and some crabs. 
Now, Mac, you gave me an advanced copy of the book. And like I said before, it's one of the funniest things I've ever read. It reminded me of The Sopranos if The Sopranos had a laugh track. Thanks, Pete. But it also gives you instructions on how to do some pretty shady stuff. Stuff not exactly legal. Well, yeah, the book is about the true life adventures of a juvenile delinquent growing up in Boston in the late 1980s. So you get a lot of the inside stuff like the best way to steal a car, best way to burn a car, how to make fake IDs, things like that. But in one chapter, you actually tell people how to turn an old broken down Toyota into a brand new Rolls Royce in five easy steps, and it actually works. Uh, Yeah, I know it sounds crazy. I didn't believe it until I saw the proof, but yes, it actually works. Now, one last question. There's a lot of laughs in the book, but also a lot of pretty crazy stuff, legal and illegal. Is it really all true? It's really all true, but um, on the advice of a publisher, they've asked us not to say anything beyond that for legal reasons, but yes, it is all true. Well, thanks, Mac. That's How to Dump a Body at Sea and Not Get Caught, the Al Ferrari story by Mac and crime writer Mark Zapula. Get it today on Amazon. UFOs are found in Renaissance art, on ancient coins, and etched on cave walls. They're even reported in the Bible. But more surprising is when UFOs are seen the most in times of war. Through centuries, thousands of UFO sightings have been made by high-ranking officials, military pilots, and ordinary soldiers. Often, these fantastic appearances occur at the height of great battles. From World War I to D-Day to Korea, Vietnam, and beyond, military investigators are baffled. Why do UFO sightings spike so drastically during wartime? Could it be mistaken aircraft? Or is someone or something looking in on us? In UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know, Mac Maloney chronicles centuries of these incredible sightings and tries to solve the puzzle of why so many UFOs are seen while humanity is at war. Read about the scare ships, the ghost planes, and the ghost rockets, alien giants in the jungles of Vietnam, UFOs controlling our ICBM bases, dogfights with flying saucers during the Gulf War, and more. 300 pages of unbelievable stories, along with many startling photographs. That's UFOs in Wartime, What They Didn't Want You to Know, by Mac Maloney. On sale at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Everyone to Mac Maloney's Mill Track Star Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. But let me reintroduce the members of the posse. Sorry, girls. We're just teasing you at the beginning. No one one tonight. No one one tonight. Still in the midst of moving from one castle to another over there in England, the UK. But he will be with us next week. No Coco saving the world, but our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Ward, has joined us. And you know what? Let's give Switch a round of applause, and I'll tell you why. The reason is is that club isn't here tonight, and I think that Switchy deserves a week off. So good for you, Switch. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, I could, I could take Club out and just kick his ass. peaceful man. I am, I am a, uh, a pacifist. Go ahead. And I would, I probably would not kick his ass, even though Club probably deserves it. Deser- oh. oh boy. I guess those are fighting oh, words if you live down in West Virginia, right? Okay. All right. We'll let him know. You tell him I said that. Okay. Well, don't worry. He'll he'll listen to the show. He'll hear the show. I don't know if you know this, but this is this is recorded, so he'll hear it. Yeah. 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 People do listen. No. No. He doesn't listen to the show. Oh yes, he he does. Oh. Club goes out and hangs out in front of the drugstore every day. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> Looking oh. for a job. Right? Oh, I think he was <laughs> that's right. Looking for a drink. Exactly. Looking for a drink <laughs> makes more sense. Listen. <laughs> also with us is a uh, UFO mechanic. Al Ronaldo. Al, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mac. Um, you know, just uh, glad to be, be along for the ride <laughs> here. You know. Yes. Okay. And uh, also with us is our good friend, Doctor Bob, out there in Chicago. Uh, he um, did a great job imitating the very famous Juan Juan in the first segment. How you doing tonight, Dr. Bob? How you doing? Good. Hello, gang. Hello, everyone. Good to see you again. Now, you've been real cold out there, right? Real cold out oh, in Chicago. Oh, yeah, like 21 oh, degrees below zero. Ooh, man, below zero. Holy cow. And, uh, you know, 19, 17, 19, 20. Really? Below zero. Did the, the, the lakes uh, freeze? Do they freeze, the lakes? Sometimes do they really? Yeah, huh? Wow. I do, but I, yeah, I'm, you know, I've been checking on the lakes too. Oh yeah, people. Hey, you know what? I'm in West by God, Virginia. I'm yes. south of the Mason Dixon line. Fine. I moved down from Michigan. Yes. I expect the nice, warm southern breezes. No. It was freaking eleven degrees this morning. <laughs> really? Good wow. God. We That's have not warm. been. We have not been that cold up in uh, I know New it's England. Warm, but no. We oh haven't been. God. It's freezing my took us off. And that's, oh. I, I'm telling you, it's it's out, just in the past ten years. Not we're not going to get into this, but the climate in the Northeast, New England, has changed almost radically. Okay, we live in the Boston area. It has not. I don't know. Has it gone below freezing yet? Yeah, but not by much. Not by. I mean, nothing. Really? Nothing like this. I mean, it probably it's gone down to thirty. In December, there were four days that were seventy degrees. We've we had our first snow in two years on Tuesday, okay. And then and then this massive flooding. I don't know if, if you know Hampton Beach in New Hampshire is kind of a you know known spot. It's completely underwater. It's completely blocked off. People can't get in and out. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And this stuff never happened before, and now it is. But hey, you don't have to shovel it. So sorry, guys. What you do for you? So anyway, did, you Raven? did I introduce you, Raven? You didn't, but I think people know. Wait I'm here. a minute! Stop! <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm mixing up off here with on here. It's okay. okay. Hi, with everyone. us? Thank no, no, so we just no. Let let's let's stop the Hello. tape. Stop the tape. And here, also with us is our favorite good witch up there in sideways in the eye. Raven is with us. Raven, how are you? Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Doing just, great. Just for the people, uh, you know, wondering, she has a hat on. There's a hat tonight. Okay, is that a beanie? Do the kids call that a beanie. It's a beanie. A beanie. And okay. I will give you a signed copy of um, one of my kitchen napkins for anyone that guesses what is written on my beanie. This okay. is a high quality prize. Okay. Let's see. A, a autograph napkin from Raven. Now, can we? Can we see I don't that? Know. It, it's. 
just oh it says you no not in the mail no sorry I should get a beanie that says that okay. I have wow. one that says that oh my god okay I'm sorry okay it, like it says feral woman no does it what's it say sure does it says feral woman oh wow like a feral cat really really yeah. wow I have the same beanie <laughs> yeah, do you really wow. <laughs> wow TMI Dr. Bob it's apparently a thing then <laughs> It, was that a gift? Oh, wait, it's too cold. <laughs> do, you, do you have one, Steve? I, I, I have one. It says Mothman on it, but it's somewhere in the basement. It would take me an hour and a half to find it. Okay, good. Feral Mothman. So so was that a gift for Raven? Or did, uh, did someone give that to you, or did you buy that on your I bought this for myself a few years ago as like um, a little like gift for myself because mm-hmm. I had a bad day, so I needed a little treat. Mm-hmm. So is the idea to go out with that hat and, uh, you know, like pick up guys and stuff like that? Not that you would, but, you know, I mean, is that what the hat oh, is for? yeah, guys don't want me. I'm, I'm far, I'm far too, uh, I'm too far gone, um, you know. Like, I'm lucky that I got the guy that I have. Our, our, our bags of email would, um, you know, say you're wrong there. But, okay, Mr. Raven, lucky guy. Uh, let's get back to this other lucky guy, Switch. Now, Switch you were talking off here about breakfasts in general, so can we get into? And, and you were about to say that a lot of chicks want pictures of me as as well, right? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, actually, we're just more interested in what you uh, you know, had for breakfast today. That a lot of people listen really? to the show. Yes. Uh, what, oh, okay. Well, I, I went to Tudors. Tudors again. I decided to do something a little different. You Uh-oh. know, usually I get uh, when I go to Tudors. Yes. I, I'm. Uh, I, I will wait a while. I get really hungry. Okay. So uh, oftentimes I will order eggs over easy, yes. uh, bacon. Yes. And mm. a biscuit. Yes. And I, I confess, I will dip my biscuit into the yolk. You know, and I mean, go ahead. That's disgusting to some people. No. I don't know, but I, it tastes okay. But this morning, I thought, you know, I needed something a little different. So I, I asked for uh, scrambled, and that's was the uh, the what, what do they call that? The uh, low carb breakfast. Okay, yes. okay, so cool. three eggs. <laughs> yes, scrambled. Okay. Yes, and uh, I got sausage, two sausage patties, mm. and, and along with uh, a, a biscuit, the giant biscuit. And, and listen again. These yes. biscuits are huge. I mean, they yes. could actually use these in warfare. Yes. They, we, we could destroy our enemies in, in one fell swoop if they just loaded these up and shot, shot them out as high-velocity Tudor's biscuits. I I'm can. telling you. Okay. One I guy, can. I was there one day, and one of the biscuits accidentally fell off the table, and a guy had to have knee surgery. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And, oh. Now, I also had uh, uh, some hot black coffee. And the cool thing is that... <laughs> You know, I, I I hate to admit this, but I I have not made my own breakfast for a long time. Really? Yeah. I go to tutors. Go ahead. I bring a stack sometimes a stack of books with a one of these uh, pencils. You know the the mechanical pencils. P- pencils, sure. We're all aware of. Make notes in the uh, in the uh, <laughs> these really cool books, and a lot of the stuff ends up hmm. in Mac Maloney's Military X Files. Really? This is. The, Fringe report. This so, I'm going to get a bill you know, at tax time. Good. Yes, he's going to try to deduct these from his taxes. Okay, we understand. It's a long road for that for your 1091, right? Let me. But I want to say this about: Is that a cat? Get that. Oh, you saw the cat. Well, oh, you're in soft focus there. Get that thing out. Get that. Holy! Oh, get that freaking talk about feral. 
Rosie oh, is my favorite. Yeah, he's really enjoying that. <laughs> but she is just okay. Mac. Yes. If you were to meet Rosie, yeah. your heart would melt. The well, listen, I've heard that, that before that, many uh, times. Steve, I've, I've tried to get him to walk across Christian the street. Anderson, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like, like Snow Queen or whatever. And uh, the, finally, the the the, uh, the this, this evil woman, her heart melted because uh, whatever i can't remember it's what is he talking about is he talking about his cat you would, you would love <laughs> rosie do you want to hear and my story raven loves rosie and she hasn't even met her yet here's why i don't like cats okay can i <laughs> oh, no. can i give you the story Man, i said stop. i've got i've don't no, no listen i bet i was scarred by a cat okay it really one you night what? when i went to college in boston film school um I moved into an apartment near the university, and um, someone gave me a kitten. Okay, these friends of mine, this couple gave me a kitten. And I said, you know I don't like cats. Why would you do this? Okay, so the kitten's running around for two weeks. He'd sneak up on me, scratch my face and stuff, and <laughs> run away. And it was just annoying. Okay, so after two weeks, I bring him back to this couple, and I said, I'm really sorry, but, you know, it's, I'm away. I'm, you know, I'm not home a lot. So I give them the cat. Okay. A year goes by. I don't see the cat. I'm at a New Year's Eve party. One of the things I remember is that they rolled a joint with the uh, paper that came in the Cheech and Chong album. So it'd be like a yard long. And take it from me, <laughs> that was the least of what was going on at that place, right? So uh, I don't know. Uh, let's say I'm on my own little mind trip, let's say, and – uh, we have New Year's Eve, and we celebrate. Now it's about 2 in the morning, and I'm going back to crash at my friend's house, the people who gave me the cat. And I'm with uh, two of my buddies. We're just going to crash there and then you know, leave in the morning. I have the key. I go up the stairs. It's dark. I open the door, and the door opens, and there's the cat. And he's sitting in a shaft of light coming in through the window. Right? It was unbelievable. And I'm like in another world, as the kids say, okay? And I just stand, I, I look at him, he looks at me, he walks over to me and throws up on my shoe. Oh. Right? Okay. Point taken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm in the state of affairs that that was like really, really, really odd to happen, right? And I'm looking at it. And my friend in Backman comes in and he goes, hey, happy new year. <laughs> it's the year of the cat, you know. Oh, Since then. That, that beautiful little fur ball. Yeah, right. And said, I love you. Oh, and is that how they do it? The rest of my is life. that right? Yeah, they regurgitate their uh, latest meal. Is it a feral cat? Or a <laughs> <laughs> See, he would have been. I live, next, I live across the street me. from Mac. I've tried to get him to come across a 10-foot right away. Come in and meet my cats. I've met your cats. Well, you, you, you've seen them in the passing. If you actually saw them for a minute and get to, they're the sweetest Al's things. Cats are so freaking cute. Well, and they are the nicest cats. Just talk away. I'm cutting this out. Go ahead. <laughs> gonna you can't. We out. need the minutes. You're cut this out. Hey, Dr. Don't Bob, you don't have a cat. Raven just told you something. No, that no. Was, it not. was in stone back in Samaria. So do not cut that out. Dr. Bob, do you have cats? 
You hate cats, don't no, you? No, sir. You hate I them. I don't have any pets right now. A couple of cockroaches I got a little friendly with, but no pets. Have you given them names? <laughs> well, they're cuddly, right? <laughs> well, yeah, they are. They can be. Um, and they're tasty, too. Oh, uh, there's a lot of protein in there. <laughs> Shit. You put them in chocolate. They're, they're supposed to be very crunchy. <laughs> oh, my God. A hotel I went to in Vegas sold those. Yeah. They had chocolate-covered cockroaches and oh, chocolate-covered scorpions. Oh, no, Raven, no, no. Hershey's no. or Nestle's? Oh, God. It was, well... It was probably Nestle. They're I not mean, going to tell you, Nestle, believe me. Right? They, they're sure the only ones that would be evil enough to do that, right? Yeah, Nestle's is a bad company, right? Well, huh? When I lived and worked in Dallas, Texas, we used to have really large cockroaches. Yes, yes. In yep. the office where I was. And we used to diaper them with like napkins and paper towels <laughs> and put them back out. Well, there's. there's... Well, listen, back uh, some years ago, I was in Central America in Belize. Which used to be British Honduras. Go ahead. Change, and uh, I was uh, a, a buddy of mine. Was actually his uncle was the Roman Catholic bishop <laughs> in Belize. Yes, and we stayed at the presbytery where the priests were. <laughs> well, at night there were these cockroaches that oh. would run up and down this the hallway, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the cats would play with them. I mean, these things were uh, half the size Once again, of the cats. Buicks, yes, yes, sake. yes. If you go down to <laughs> Southern Florida. You will and, and see I, very I mean, large too much information. cockroaches. I, I, I remember being in the commode, mm-hmm. and one of these giant suckers happened to stop by, and I looked at him. We we made eye contact, mm-hmm. and I thought, no, this is not good. <laughs> and I, that's all I'll tell He you. probably thought the same thing, so don't worry, Switch. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. In, <laughs> in Florida, in Florida, don't they call them palmetto bugs or something? Something. I, I walked but, into yeah. a room. But they're big cockroaches. They're huge. cockroaches, yeah. huge. for Christ's sake. They're Oh, they're yeah. everywhere in the South. Yeah. Like, we went to um, Outer Banks, and my friends have them down there. And they're just, like, out and about. Mm. Just chilling. Yeah, right. They don't yeah. do anything. Right. The size of squirrels. But I, I mean, I certainly don't want them in my home, but I'm not moving down south anytime soon. No, neither the am I. The size of a squirrel, but you can tell they're not a squirrel because they don't have that bushy tail. That's true. You know, I've been down to southern parts of Florida because that's where Lois's family is now located. And it's like Jurassic Park down there. We were... I mean, first of all, there's all these like little uh, gecko lizards running around and stuff, um, and then they get these like really weird birds. You go out into the intracoastal and you see those um, manatees. Oh yeah, Did you ever see a manatee? It's like yeah. a it's like a cow underwater. It's it's like this yeah. huge. They're so cute. Sh- okay, and um, and they have a lot of lizards down there. Okay, and these lizards are. Um, what do you call the iguana lizards? Iguanas. They're, they're yeah. enormous. Yeah. They're like small alligators. And they're just wild, too. And they're wild. And uh, also, um, I just read the other day, um, Florida has 16 million alligators. Um, oh. Now, the thing about these iguanas is they'll, they'll climb up into like a palm tree at night, okay, when it's warm. And then because they're cold blooded, they kind of freeze and they don't, you know, and they're not active until. The sun comes, hits them. They fall out of the trees, right? They just like fall out of the tree, and it's like getting hit with a cement block. And it's just, it's it's a freaking monster. I'll tell you that place is. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people down there who are, you know are friends of mine. But how you live in Florida, and then there's Florida man, 
right? Florida man. Oh, every, always, yeah. yeah. Every day there's a headline, Florida man eats alligator. And, you know, yeah, Florida or, man, you know, drives, you know. It does something crazy, or, yeah. Or you get the occasional Florida woman, Florida which woman, is an equally yeah. absurd yeah, story yeah. that follows. Right, yeah, yeah. You it's call a, him a bard? Florida, <laughs> anyway. No, not really. <laughs> but the, the alligators are the thing that, you know, I'd be most concerned. With. I've, I've stayed down on... Uh, Oh, what's the island down off the very, very end? Uh, mm-hmm. Sanibel. Okay, yes. And, and a guy that I knew had houses on Sanibel. He said, oh, go down and you know, stay for Christmas, stay for a week, whatever. And we drove down, and you know, I'm sitting on this uh, really kind of rickety dock in the backyard, and there was like a waterway, and my feet are dangling, and you know, we're sitting there watching it, and then <laughs> I pick my legs up, and you know, we're getting ready to leave, it, and an alligator swims by, mm-hmm. And my feet were hanging like yeah. four inches above the water, where he just swam by, and he. Well, wow. I'm thinking, you know, he could have just, if he was a few seconds earlier, he could have taken a grab at, at a yep. leg, and then uh, there'd be no one to pick up the tab at the stab and galley tonight. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, so I just, I just want to go back to switch for one minute, because he yes. sends me these photos uh, occasionally when he's eating his breakfast. Knowing that I'm eating, you know, like a, a half a cucumber for lunch and an unsalted saltine. And Listen, the other day, Mac, I have to tell you, I had this gorgeous looking breakfast and I thought, no, not going to send this to Mac. He, he might actually undergo his own demise wow. because he can't have this. But uh, yeah. I, Thank you, you know, Switchy, for thinking of me. But he. I, listen, I, I, Mac, I think of you often. Do you really? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. that might not be a good thing. Uh, he sent me a picture <laughs> of his breakfast, and you know the the game is okay. You can guess you know there's five pieces of bacon, you know three sausages, and so on. And I said, "What's that all on top of a pancake?" And it wasn't. It's this biscuit. This is how he's talking about these biscuits. They're like big. They could be mistaken for pancakes. I, I had a Mac. I had a measured these yeah. biscuits. I only have one at a time. Okay. They are one third the size of Nebraska. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. True. That's good to know. Anyway. So are they bigger than like a Waffle House waffle or about like the same oh, size? Oh, listen, Raven, there is, uh, there aren't too many Waffle Houses close by. I have to actually drive 40 minutes mm. to get to the closest Waffle House in West by God, Virginia. Which is in Huntington? They okay. And they have, oh my God, they have this $11 breakfast <laughs> that includes a waffle. It includes wow. eggs. It includes, I, I can't tell you how many things it includes. And I, it was just like, even I, who's a glutton, mm-hmm. can't eat the whole damn thing. Mm. And I, I, I wish Point Pleasant had a a Waffle House. Really? The, yeah. But Waffle is. House is. is God's gift to human beings. Tudors would be pissed, though. Yeah, it really is. And I, I'm not religious, but I would agree with that. Never been in one. <laughs> yeah, but do you have to, I would pray you have in to a waffle tip house, there, though? 100%. Do you have oh, to tip there, God. Switchy? Oh, my God. Switchy, do you and, tip and, at the Waffle and, House? Know, on Christmas, I think it was it Christmas Day, when everything here in Point Pleasant is closed down? Yes. I drove. I drove those 40 minutes to get to a Waffle House. Wow. Because they were the only thing open on the planet. Merry Christmas. Yeah, huh? Wow, huh? Now I'm hungry. Now I want waffles. I want freaking biscuits, sauces. <laughs> wow. Anyway. So listen, Raven, you have a report for us tonight, right? 
I sure do. Okay, we're going to ready. We're going to put your bumper in right here. And now it's time for Raven. And go ahead. What do you have? I have a little story on Peoria State Hospital, and this is in Bartonville, Illinois. Um, So Peoria State Hospital opened in 1902 and was ominously, I'm sorry, I can't say that word, ominously named the Illinois Asylum for the Incurable Insane. It uh, later did become known as Peoria State Hospital, but that was like the very, very first title for it. Um, The grounds were set up in what was referred to as a cottage system by administrator Dr. George A. Zeller, meaning there were multiple buildings on the property, um, including patient and caretaker housing, a store, a bakery, a power station, a farm area, and four cemeteries. Um, Of the original 63 buildings on the property, only 13 remain today. Um, So the first building on the site was completed in 1897 and was described as a facsimile of a feudal, 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 (laughs) cut all this out, (laughs) facsimile, I can't say this word, facsimile of a feudal castle, that's what it is, are we all on the same page, good. Um, but it was never inhabited and was eventually torn down. Um, so the building looked like a castle, just so, you know. Um, it is speculated that the integrity of the structure was compromised due to underground mine shafts. Um, so this is where the, the cottage system came into play. However, another theory was presented in a 1927 history of the Peoria State Hospital archive that states Dr. Zeller found that building to be, quote, wholly out of harmony with modern ideas for the care of the insane, end quote. So I want to talk about Dr. Zeller. Um, when I think of an insane asylum, my mind immediately goes to the horrible mistreatment of the mentally ill throughout history, experimental and risky procedures, under-medicated or over-medicated, um, or on the opposite spectrum, absolute neglect. Um, but Dr. Zeller was different. He was considered a pioneer in mental health and advocated for dignified human care, something that we often don't even see today. Um, So Dr. Zeller removed uh, the restraints and the window bars to make the patients feel more at ease. And uh, it was even reported that he repurposed the window bars and made a zoo for the patients and the families to enjoy while visiting. So this guy was like way ahead of his time. By the late 1920s, the resident population grew to 13,000 people. Um, Due to the high patient load, it was often a challenge to care for the unclaimed bodies. Um, So sadly, many patients died under the hospital's care that had no family to claim them. Um, Dr. Zeller made the decision to form a burial corp. This was made up of hospital staff and patients. Um, And this burial, uh, sorry, this group buried the unclaimed bodies uh, on the hospital grounds to ensure every patient had a final resting place. Um, In total, approximately 4,000 unclaimed patients were buried on the property. This brings us to the star of the show. I have a ghost called Old Book. Mm. He was also sometimes referred to as A. 
bookbinder. So first initial A and then last name bookbinder Mm. Um, and his elm tree. So old book was a well-liked patient at the hospital that was assigned to the burial crew. I wasn't able to determine what he was there for or where his name came from, but he, I'm, I'm assuming was there for quite some time. Um, It is said that old book wept at every interment uh, moaning under a nearby elm tree because old book was so well liked his own funeral was very well attended um it said that 400 people came to pay their respects so the story goes that old book was seen weeping and moaning at his favorite graveyard elm during his own funeral however when his coffin was opened by the attendants who were like you know what is happening yes the wailing stopped and old book was laying inside the coffin oh gee Weird, right? Yes. Wow. Soon after Old Book was buried, the graveyard elm began to wither. It is said that it decayed so much that near its end, it actually resembled a human skeleton. Mm -hmm. Um, A crew was assembled to remove the dead tree, but upon the first swing of the axe, a loud wail cried out from it. Mm. Uh, The crew tried to remove it quite a few times. They even attempted to light it on fire at one point. But the screams and wails that emitted from the elm were so severe that they were always scared away. Years later, Old Book's tree was struck by lightning and it fell over. Um, And that was when it was finally removed. In 1973, the hospital closed its doors for good. Um, Since its closure, many buildings have either been demolished or converted into businesses. So in 2013, Uh, The Peoria State Hospital Museum was established. Um, They were able to acquire three buildings on the property, and they host historical and paranormal tours, vendor bazaars, and Halloween attractions. Today, visitors regularly report strange happenings, including hearing knocking, banging and whispers, seeing full-blown apparitions, and witnessing radios turning on by themselves mm. and the channels change to religious or country stations wow. and the volume increases. That tells you something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the cemetery still remains as well. And as for old book, um, he went, this is really sad. He went decades without a proper grave marker. Mm-hmm. And in 2010, a former hospital employee erected a memorial to honor their former patient. Um, so if you're in the Bartonville area, you know, check out the museum. Let me know what you think mm. or if you experience anything or if you see old book hanging out anywhere. Wow. And that is the Peoria State Hospital. Wow, wow. And it's a tourist attraction. That's funny. Let's give Raven a round of applause please, for scaring the shit out Thank of us. You. So, so, you know, they just found there's some state prison, I think, in Mississippi. They just found like a thousand bodies buried. You in the backyard, you know, because a lot of people who wound up in those places, especially years ago, they're kind of abandoned by their families. I mean, that's that's just and when you die, they they bury you. That's what like hit me so hard about this one was because like Dr. Zeller seemed like he really cared Mm. and he didn't want them to just end up, you know, down a body chute somewhere. Right. Yeah. In a pile, you know, like he did bury them. There's a place there's a place near us in Danvers, Massachusetts that is was a state hospital up on a on a very high hill it's kind of funny um 
about halfway from Boston to New Hampshire, which is about a 40-mile ride, about halfway, 20 miles outside of town, up on this hill, was this state hospital, Danvers State Hospital. And all, growing up as, you know, as a kid, all I can remember my mother saying, you're going to, you know, bring me to Danvers, blah, 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 you know. Not me, my brothers. So anyway, um, it was a creepy, creepy looking place. It looked like this old, you know, just jails. Anyway, so they closed it, finally closed it, and then they tore down some of it, uh, left some of it up, and they built condos up there. And the condos are so haunted, they've been on all these ghost work shows and stuff. Um, one one used to work up there uh, putting in computers. He says it's a creepy place. I guess the original buildings are really, really very creepy. Um, the new buildings, you know, they catch on fire and stuff like that. But when you go in, when you buy a place, the management gives you a pillow that has embroidered on it. Boo. You know, ha-ha. You, you probably, oh, my you know, God. It's probably a way of uh, signing some kind of release form. But, yeah, just straight. And, and so they found when they went up there to – you know, build the condos. They found, you know, several dozen bodies, you know, just, you know, kind of buried and helter skelter out there, you know, so. Wow, yeah. huh? Peoria. Yeah, I, I liked it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't like it, you know, but I mean. It's interesting. Like I said, like, historically, the mentally ill were treated not good yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, and this yeah. was like the opposite. Yeah, sure. Hmm. I, I did a field investigation in Indiana. In a, one of those type of hospitals. Dr. Bob, yeah. And I had to sign, I did have to sign a release before uh, I could do the investigation with a, a team of scientists. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. And it was this really a strange place. Mm -hmm. And they had a, I was doing experiments with something called the extended bulb technique mm -hmm. on a 35 millimeter camera. Okay. Where the bulb held the shutter open. And I got. Yep. When I got back and had the uh, film analyzed, there were all kinds of strange, like these these glowing eyes down these hallways. Right. Well, you can uh -huh. see. So and, what does uh, the they uh, had a prison cell in in the uh, second floor? Uh -huh. And at four o'clock in the morning, I went up and I took, you know, experimented taking that type of photograph. When I got back, there was this thing in this cell. When I had it developed. That it looked like a, a big soccer ball size candy, black cotton candy ball. Wow. And okay. I had to analyze by four specialists, and they said, Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the camera, nothing wrong with the film. Mm -hmm. But this, that, whatever that was, it looked like it was manifesting itself in that cell. Remember the uh, story I just told about the cat who threw up on my shoe? Yes. That night yeah. I saw a 50 pound ball of uh, cotton candy, as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Started eating it. As, it was yeah. feral, too, I think. <laughs> well, anyway, no, no. <laughs> I'm here. So, uh, wow. So, so we've talked about this before is that, you know, it seems like places where people meet uh, an uncomfortable end, battlefields, mental institutions, prisons, okay? Yes. Seem more uh, the, attractive the to ghosts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what's what you say? So, is, is, I mean, is that is that is that kind of like ground zero for a lot of ghosts? You know, I mean, that whole idea of if you if you leave this world in a violent manner, you don't quite make it over to the next step. You're kind of stuck here. You know, who knows what? Right? 
but it does seem yeah, like oh, go ahead I, raven i don't i don't know if that's like the rule you know because i think that anyone whatever whatever goes on afterwards you know mm-hmm. i think that there's like a, a to a certain degree maybe a choice where you can stay if you want really? because i know when i go yes. i am haunting the shit really? out of mr yeah, yeah. raven okay <laughs> yeah, things there to is do. no way i'm not gonna haunt him things to do okay Especially yeah. if he thinks that he's gonna find another wife Wow. No. Okay. Well, there's so a movie. I'm gonna hang out. Yeah. Um, okay. But All right. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. Hopefully, I don't know he's if not it's like listening the rule to the show. Exception to the rule or whatever it is. But um, I mean, I'm not. A, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm not a ghost, so I I can't tell. But um, it does seem like there's a, a pattern. I will say mm-hmm. of uh people that meet a very violent or disturbing and that hang out and it's like y- yes they and like uh like in like this uh i don't want to spoil this but in the sixth sense when you know like he doesn't know he's dead i guess that movie came out in the 90s right, so it's yes. like if you haven't yep. seen it that's yep. on you but could be that too yeah 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 I, I mean you you we've once again we've talked about this before too it, it's like do ghosts exist well um if only one ghost story is true throughout all of history. All the people have seen ghosts had encounter. Only you only need one of them to be true for ghosts to be you know true. You know, um, same thing with uh, UFOs. My question is: is so we hear of ghosts in mental institutions, prisons, things like that. But is that just because we're looking for them there? You know what I mean? Maybe they're just everywhere. We just happen to. Oh yeah, there's going to be ghosts at a. Closed down mental institution. Yes, there are. But, you know, maybe they're in everybody's house. Maybe, you know what I mean? Depends on what went on there before. I've done several field investigations with teams of scientists. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this before. And we also took equipment in there when we did the investigations. And I probably Mm -hmm. did a half a dozen, you know, eight investigations with them. Yes. And something happened at each yeah. place that Each we time. were investigating. Yeah, and, huh. uh, I saw evidence of things I walked up to. I have no idea what they were. Is there a um, common thread or is it different in every place? Uh, I think the common thread is that the people who are investigating are ready for that kind of experience. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, if you're in that business, yeah. Wow, that's that's cool, Doctor Bob. So, um, thank you, Raven. We've already clapped for you. Let's yeah. clap for her again. I, I think it's worth. Come on, oh, time. Thank you. <laughs> We're gonna take a very quick break now. You're listening to Macaloni's Military Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed. The Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Hong's Hat, and the very mysterious M Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. 
You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with a forward by the very famous Juan Juan. On sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. everyone to Mac Maloney's Miltrax on show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. Let me introduce you. Almost a skeleton gang tonight. Um, let me start in the studio here. Uh, UFO mechanic, Al Ronaldo. Al. Hey, Mac. Hello, everyone. Uh, no one one tonight, girl. Sorry. He's uh, still in the process of moving castles. All upset. Because uh, the Duchess of York, Kate Middleton, in the hospital today, rushed to yeah. the hospital. I hope it's nothing serious because, frankly, she's the best-looking one in that family for, like, generations. Right? you got to change, you know, you have to change the gene pool there. And she's, um, you know, at the forefront. I hope she's okay. He'll be with us next week. Our national, no cocoa tonight, saving the world, but our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Ward, in a particularly jolly mood because club isn't here tonight. Switching. Well, <laughs> I, I won't comment on that, but listen, who needs one one? I mean, wow. Uh, Ooh, wow. I, mean, Ooh. I mean, really? Wow. I, I mean, uh, so, you know, unprovoked attack on one one. He'll be back next week or the week after. No big deal. Huh. Okay, switchy. That's uh, switch. Switch. All you need to do is get some uh, Twinkies and some donuts and stuff and just hold them up. Yeah, and and you can take care of uh, you know a club real well. Right, you can but fill in his shoes. No, but for some reason Switchy is attacking Juan Juan. I don't get it in the uh, in the drama of the show. Hey, hey, listen, hey, listen. We, you know, Juan Juan. I loved Juan Juan like a sister. Yeah, okay. it's a, oh, oh, we, we don't. Oh, come on. Oh, Holy cow! We Switchy. don't need Juan Juan. We don't need Cobra. Wow, Switch Raven. Okay. Yes, oh. and the mechanic. But listen, Steve's on a roll tonight. He sure hey, is. Listen, yes. we're, we're doing okay. We're we, we are the we are the skeleton crew. Skeleton that gang. keeps on giving. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's the tattoo, everyone. But a boom. Oh God. Uh, so anyway, one uh, one for this. Other thing I was going to uh, mention. I've introduced everyone, right? No, 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 Raven. Why do I keep forgetting you, Raven? Why? Why? I mean, it's be, okay. I'm, is it a Freudian, I'm here. <laughs> it's a Freudian thing, maybe? Um, Freudian and, slip. There you go. Thank I, you. Uh, can uh, I say uh, something, uh, Mac? Go ahead. A, 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 a lady I know named Brandy who lives Brandy. way up in the great white north okay. is really happy that Raven is back. Re- oh, real? oh, well, yeah. 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 Oh, oh, we yeah. get emails all the Hi, time. Hi, Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, her legion of fans is glad. That she's back. Let me ask you something, yep. uh, Switchy. Does Brandy is it with an I at the end or a Y? It's an I. I. Okay, interesting. Does she uh, does she top it off with a hot? 
Does she what now? You know, does she put a... Well, that, that I wouldn't know. Really? But uh, she is a huge fan of this show. Oh, wow. And wow. that is no shit. That's good. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. When you say Great White North, are you talking about Canada, our friends in Canada? Well, it's... it might Almost... Be, it might be okay. northern Wisconsin, but really but same thing, right? I can't okay. be specific because this young lady is very uh, uh, private, and I, I don't know if she's as private as Agent X. Really, she's private. Well, yeah. okay, all right. I'd use another word. And, and Raven, it's X. absolutely true. She is a huge fan of you. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people are uh, fans of Raven. I mean, I've been in the show for eight years. I get like two, you know, fan letters in the eight years. She gets uh, <laughs> several a week. Anyway. The Rose Among the Thorns. Uh, Dr. Bob. Uh, Do, uh, uh, Dr. Bob was with us tonight. Dr. Bob Gross down there. Very chilly Chicago, as it turns out. Still a toddling town, Correct. It's toddling, yes. It's also shaking, but it's toddling. Okay. All right. Man, shaking, toddling. Can I say briefly? Go ahead. West by God, Virginia, this morning was 11 freaking degrees. Wow. Huh? I was looking for those nice, warm southern breezes. No, no, you're in the north. You know, you did, just happen to be. Happen down here. You're up here with us, man. You got to go below the Carolinas to hear that, you know, to feel that warm southern breeze. That you're all, you just didn't go about. far enough yeah. south. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have to keep going. Uh, when I woke up, it was four here. So, I mean, huh. I guess at least you got double digits. <laughs> there goes Switchy. Other people are suffering, not just you. Uh, Dr. Bob, first yes. of all, where's that marijuana prescription you were going to send us? Is that dead dead on arrival? Uh, no, but I'm. Uh, it's taken a while for me to make sure everything's okay to send you. Okay. Okay. In quotes. Okay. I understand. He's but winking I, I at his phone. Okay. All right. So listen, you've been, um, you're working on two books simultaneously, correct? Three, actually. Three. But, uh, What's the matter with you? Uh, I've got nothing better to do. I've had, <laughs> it's so cold. Neither do I, but I've been I doing it for 30 outside. years. So good. I saw a dog frozen to a fire hydrant yesterday. Oh, wait a minute. Throwing, boom. Throwing Carson material. Wow. <laughs> How cold was it? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, wow. So one of the uh, give us the title of uh, the, one of the musical related books that you you okay, are doing. I've, I've got a couple of books going. They're they're just books in progress. Go ahead. But I thought you might enjoy this. Uh, I've been studying this for a while, mm -hmm. but the title of this. It's a book, and it's, it looks like it's going to be a uh, you know Pulitzer Prize winner, probably. Go ahead. That'd be nice. The, the title of it is, The Best Part of Being Human is the Ability to Experience Music and Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. Wow. Huh. Okay. It's a mouthful, but that's cool. They like long titles these days. So before you start, you, you did tell us, you came on the show about a, a year ago and told us, blew my mind. That, you know, let's say once we get settled on Mars, the atmosphere in Mars is, is such that if a symphony orchestra played, or a rock band played, everything wouldn't arrive at our ears at the same time, right? The bass would be delayed or something would be, right, acoustically? Correct. Yeah, is that, that's right, right? I mean, obviously. Yes, the, because of the way their, you know, atmosphere works and so forth, uh, if you were listening to a concert outside, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was the, the 
the high frequencies, like if you have an orchestra there that has flutes, yep. they would reach you first, and then the basses would, would reach yeah. you. And they'd only go about 26 feet is all a sound wave would travel on Mars, and then it would drop off. So it would be unreal. It, so there's, because there's no atmosphere, right? It doesn't have to do with gravity. There's an atmosphere, but what's Very in thin. the atmosphere causes that. To yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Okay, please, uh, go ahead. Uh, so what's, with the, what's this book about? Well, uh, I, I was I was thinking you might enjoy this being a musician yourself, and you know I I hang around. Uh, with I was a professional musician. I studied filmmaking too, and so forth. So well, I, I was thinking one night, uh, there's a connection here because like uh, I think we on one of your shows we talked. I, I've had like six encounters with UAPs during my life. Okay, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking there were some strange things that were happening to me when I was a kid. And uh, I think that people who, some people who are musicians and yes. tend to be musicians, yes. there's parallels that are going on between what you experience as a musician and what you experience during a UAP Okay. Can I just interrupt just one thing here? I just want to clarify something. I don't consider myself a musician because I think you have to be born with the musician gene. But I I hang around with a lot of musicians. And frankly, a lot of them are just like dopey. You know what I mean? And I yeah. don't mean that in a bad way. You know what I mean? They're never on time. They're just in another world. A lot of them, especially drummers, as it turns out. So that's why I'm kind of listening to you and saying, you know what? Yeah, I could see some of those people seeing stuff that you know the general population doesn't see. Well, yeah, and and I and I'm kind of, and that's true. Have you ever heard of something called synesthesia? Uh, let's say I have. Yes, synesthesia. Go ahead. Have you heard of that? Uh, well, let's say I have. Yeah. Okay. I'll okay. pretend. Yes. Oh, well, I'll talk a little bit about that. But you, you kind of remind me of myself. Like when I first started in in music, and mm -hmm. uh, I did my undergraduate work at duquesne university okay they used to refer to me as the vincent van gogh of the music school because i had no ear oh oh oh, oh wow <laughs> hold on all right that's a thinker but go ahead yes wow. go ahead so wow and i i never you know, so i had to do have you ever heard something called solfeggio uh, uh, well it's i sound i've heard half of that it's, no it's, it's, it's a it's a bar, actually. No, it's uh, it's like when you look. It's it's called ear training exercise. Okay. And uh, I I had never done any of that as a kid or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. But uh, you know, I I started figuring. My God, the things I, you know, I I've experienced six UAPs in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And then when I was uh, a kid, nine years old, that's when I got. Um, something called ball lightning, which is still considered oh, a yeah. phenomena. Yep. Yep. And when I was, I, when I was nine years old, I got knocked over by ball lightning. Wow. Huh? Why you? Uh, you know, and, and it was, uh, I think it was one of those feral bolts of ball lightning. That <laughs> there <travel on>. There's <laughs> that word again. That'll yeah. be the wordle tomorrow. But, and but then after, after that, mm -hmm. uh, again, I was uh, nine years old. And uh, I was going to a Catholic elementary school, uh -oh. and there was a band concert 
that same spring, I, I got hurt, knocked over by the lightning, mm-hmm. you know, in, uh, in early spring. And then by late spring, I went to a concert, an elementary school band concert. Mm-hmm. In the school I attended in the cafeteria, or they used to call it a cafetorium. Uh, and that's when I had my first <laughs> aesthetic experience. Yes. And it was it was an elementary school band playing the Marines hymn. Yeah, sure. And man, I started having, you know, those uh, you know, the chills and everything. Oh yeah, really? So I don't yeah. Know that if the that did it for you? Or not. Okay. It wasn't a nun coming up and backing with the Board of Education, was it? <laughs> I'm not that, that time, gave me a chills. Later. Yeah. So, so, are you saying that? But, but let's just talk about musicians for a second. You're a born musician. You were a professional musician. I mean, do you do you do you feel that you were destined to be a musician? Do you feel? Well, obviously, you have the musician's gene. I don't have it. Like the musicians, I think people are born musicians. They have to be because you see these kids. Uh, you know, these these young Japanese kids. Four years old at a grand piano and then playing Mozart flawlessly for 20 minutes. Obviously, they've been born to be a musician, right? I mean, that happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they are. They're born with certain capacities. And, and what, the, the, again, here I'm going in, in the, my research from the doctor's side. Of Go ahead. Uh, you've, you've heard of something called perfect pitch. Yes, yes. And, and those type of things. Uh, Research seems to indicate that if you start working on that and like training yourself with the solfeggio and everything okay. before the age of seven, you're likely to become more of a uh, a professional musician. Really? Yeah. Than huh. not. So be trained trained at an early age to do it. In other words, instead of being born, or at with least it. the hmm. uh, perfect pitch. Yeah. Oh, really? Hmm. That's no. Interesting. And now uh, I see. I was finding out. I thought everybody saw these things and heard these things when I was yes. a kid. Yeah, yeah. That's not true. Yeah, funny. Funny. But that's well, why I, that's why it got me thinking about this and this there's a link here between people what the experiences I had as a growing up as a musician, even you know, getting knocked over by lightning. Yes. All of that seems to be tied in with the fact that I've seen six UAPs. Yes. Well, we say on the show all the time, are there people who are more, you know, likely to see a UFO have some kind of an experience than other people? Like, I've never seen one, you know, but I know people who have seen one who, you know, and I I believe them, obviously, you know. It's funny because, as I said before, and I was kind of trying to be funny, but not really, musicians musicians are a certain kind of people. And if you know them, you... You know, if you all you need to know is like two or three, and you realize, oh boy, here we go, right? I mean, they're they're just not in the different kinds of people, and maybe those people, uh, you know, just happen to be people who see lots of UFOs or something. Well, well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is it's that people? There's something spooky going on in my apartment. Really? Uh, You know, uh, what's what's happening is like that, uh, like musicians okay when i used to, i used to teach at, you know, music at penn state okay right? yes and i'd always tell my classes and these are you know undergraduate classes uh there's only one place that music can really exist mm-hmm. where and that's in your brain your mind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because everywhere else just just think of it you're just hearing sounds 
your brain is turning the sounds into music. Yeah, interesting. Yes, yes, yes. And and you know, like I, I when I was in elementary school, I didn't know the difference between baroque style music and romantic music style and <laughs> classical. Yes. You know, now I can nail it about who wrote it and about what month they wrote it. Wow, wow, but, wow. But but it's it's because you're taking in this kind of information. And and when you think about it, music is the perfect parallel to these people that are having UAP experience. Yeah, I can see that. It's un unreal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, funny. It, it, there would be a, um, you know, what's also funny is that a lot of times, we used to talk about this early in the show, we used to have people on rock stars. Just take, you know, your general rock star. A lot of them have seen UFOs. And I remember, actually, we had Paul Cantor from Jefferson Starship on the show once, years ago. And I said that to him. I said, why is that? And he said, well, you know, we're always flying around the world. We're always in the air, whatever, you know. And, and he, he had seen somebody said, because I'm, I'm moving around, you know, for the past 40 years or whatever. But maybe he was wrong. Maybe but, musicians well, see more. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, but musicians, you training your brain differently as a musician. It's true. Yeah, I you can know, see and, that. And I feel just, it. Just, I'm, I'm kind of off topic a little bit, but, you know, when I was, uh, I was doing my student teaching down at Duquesne, just under my undergraduate degree, mm -hmm. I, I, and I taught in the Hill District, which was where they did the Hill Street Blues. You remember that movie? <laughs> really? That yes. That's when that where that took place, where I did my student teaching, and when I found out that you know I was doing these solfeggio and ear training experiments, okay, yes, to get my ears cleaned out and working better, and one day I was tuning, I had to tune the orchestra. Okay. And usually you had a piano there, you know, and I played the it was a an acoustic piano. Yes. And you hit the piano key, and. Then you you got a violinist to play, and then you tune the violinist, and then oh, you yeah, tune yeah. the rest of the orchestra. What a drag! With the violin. Yes, you know? yes. Well, what happened to me is because I was working on training my ear because I didn't have the the best ear in the world. One day, when I hit the piano to get the A or whatever I was tuning them with, I didn't hear just the one sound, the one pitch A from the piano. Mm -hmm. I heard two or three different overtones as well as the A. So I was hearing the string vibrating as a whole string and hearing it the sound from the string vibrating as a, in halves and the string, sound of the string vibrating in thirds. Why did I that hear them distinctly? Why did that happen suddenly? <laughs> it was I something that you, I something I, got I in there. screwed yeah. up my brain because yeah. I was training my ears so hard to make myself a better musician. I was hearing things differently. Yeah, wow. You see, so you can that do that. that's going on for years. You can train yourself. That's interesting. And, you know, and, and so th these these kind of things were happening to me, and I thought it was normal. I thought every, every, everyone did this. Yeah, yeah. No. Because, and, and, it, and this does happen. In other words, you, musicians might not be born, or people can be born and be trained to be musicians. Yes. Really? Hmm. Okay. We break yeah, and, 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 broke you know, some ground here. And yeah. when you think about it, the, the the difference between average music and great music yes. are the nuances. Yes, that's yes. And yeah, quality good musicians are trained to hear those nuances. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. You know, and then you, that's you're training your brain. Nobody else does that. Mm-hmm. I um just a, a personal aside here. So for years and years and years, I never got jazz. Never got it. Uh, so much so that years ago, I had a jazz show for two years really? at a college radio station. Still didn't get. I'd play everything, but I just didn't get it. I because I was more of a, like a rock and roll guy. Wanted everything yeah. to be, you know. And then um, for some reason, <laughs> I went to go see. Well, not for some reason. Went to go see Kenny Garrett. It was a um, guy who played with Miles Davis, and I looked up Miles Davis and Kenny Jarrett playing together, and suddenly I got, I kind of got it. You know what I mean? I kind of got it. Maybe it was through Miles Davis or whatever, but I, yes. I, I kind of, you know, now I understand what they're doing. You know, they're they're just laying down a basic rhythm oh. section, and then they're improvising constantly over that between each other, I and mean, the interplay is crazy. Those are very well, talented people. You, you know, that that's, I mean, see what we're talking about. That's so important because like I, I grew up because I grew up in Pittsburgh and I hung out with jazz musicians because mm-hmm. they were crazier than everybody else. <laughs> oh, really? And I, <laughs> <laughs> I needed that. Okay. Mm-hmm. That craziness. Yeah. But uh, talking about, okay. Uh, have you ever heard of Don Ellis? Uh, the uh, album called Electric Bath. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And he had a trumpet that was had four valves instead of the three. Yeah, okay. And the reason he had four valves was because he wasn't, you know how in in uh you have like do, re, mi in a in a scale. Sure. And then there's also there's others there's do, re, mi, re, re, ra. There's all these yeah. different variations syllables yep. that are half tones. Yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah. well Don Ellis his instrument could play quarter tones. Mm-hmm. Okay. On a piano, the the slightest difference is called a half tone, mm-hmm. a semitone. It's like uh. going from a C to a C sharp. Yes. But Don Ellis was so, was so creative and screwed up mm-hmm. in what he did. He was he his instruments could play quarter tones. That's crazy. That is nuts. I, I'm almost understanding what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, that's it's an almost impossible thing well, to do. Well, um, jazz musicians always say we want to play the notes in between everything else. Well, that's exact. Yep. Okay, let, I can can explain that to you, like on a simple uh, keyboard, like He's, a piano keyboard. Okay, you have like a, a, a white key, which is a C. Yes, and then the next half key, half step above it is black. It's a C sharp. Mm-hmm. Well, with the blues, okay, which is jazz is built around. Yep. Okay, what the, the jazz musicians who's most of them are from African descent. Yep. What they're trying to do in jazz music is when you're playing the blues, which I played a lot of blues, yep. what you're trying to do is get that half step that's in between B and B flat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And musicians that are playing the blues will play the, the, the pitch B and the pitch B flat at the same time to try to get that quarter tone mm-hmm. that's between yeah. the two. Right. Oh, wow, sorry. The so qu- that's that sounded like a B flat. Yeah, a B, <laughs> a B flat sneeze. So, so those are the nuances we're talking about in music, right. right? But that's what it is. That those those quarter tones and so forth. That's what the, all the blues are based on. Mm-hmm. And pitch. The, you know, a pitch like going from one pitch to another pitch. Right. That's a socio-psychological phenomenon. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Pitch means something different in each culture. Yeah, funny. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, um, uh, one of the things I learned is uh, modulation. Okay, so right. and and the example that someone gave me is Barry Manilow. We're gonna take a break soon. Barry Manilow and a lot of his songs, he'll modulate at you know with a minute to go in the song, and basically what they do is they sing the song in a key, a certain key, and then you modulate up a little bit, and it adds this excitement. It adds this kind of like life to the song. Exactly, you're singing, you're singing the same song, you're just in a higher key, and and yeah. a lot of uh, show tunes do that. Yeah, and then have you heard the term modes that they used to use instead before scales and yes. the yep. modes? Mm-hmm. Well, those modes were originally get the Aeolian mode and so forth. Yep, yep. They were named after tribes that existed back then. Really? And if yes. for a re- really crazy sound, mm-hmm. you got the name of a really crazy tribe like the Aeolians. Yeah, 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 if yeah. If you're really peaceful, you may be called the Dorians. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I never knew that. But the, all those names are floating around there. And I, I'll just say one thing, then we got to take a break. This has been great, Dr. Bob. We could talk about this all night. If you want to hear something, an example of modulation, you know, a song that everyone would listen to, is Penny Lane. Okay, Paul McCartney's like 24 years old. He comes up with this, right? And it modulates eight times. He sings the verse in a minor key. And then when he goes to Penny Lane, it goes up one, and it sounds exciting. It sounds bright. It sounds, you know, like stuff is happening, and then like goes back down to the lower key. It's it's genius. It's something that you know Chopin or one of these Mozart would do. He did it, and that's a great example of modulation, going up and down in keys, and makes the song makes the song sound sad, then bright, then happy. I mean, and it's but you're right. It's all in our brain. It's all Some in our people head. don't realize what's even happening. Right, yeah. They feel yeah. sad, but they don't really know what's happening. Yeah, yes, well, yeah. you know, people like us know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And a, a record producer, a fairly rec- famous record producer once told me, chicks dig the bass. <laughs> they put a lot of bass in, <laughs> in songs. And, anyway, listen. Uh, yeah, this, those are only feral chicks. No, hang on. Oh, let's, uh, let's give Dr. Well Bob done. a round of applause and drown out. What he's trying to say. Well done. Thank you very much, Dr. Bob. Why don't we take a uh, commercial break now, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here in the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. So until you hear us next time, this is Mac Maloney for the entire gang saying, be safe, be happy, and... Bye-bye. Okay, the show's over. Hey, Cobra, where are we going to eat tonight? Well, gentlemen... What do you feel like, Chinese, Italian, sushi? How about we go where they have the best hamburger in the world? And where would that be, one one? Only the Starboard Galley. Starboard Galley? They're a great seafood place, but they're in Newburyport, and we're in Exeter. But they're only 20 minutes away down Route 95, and believe me, they have the best hamburger in the world. Let's go. Okay, boys, license and registration. Where's the fire? You clowns going to the circus? We're in a hurry just to get the best hamburger in the world. And where's that, Pally? That's the Starboard Galley in Newburgh. The great seafood place? Yes, but they make a great hamburger, too. And they start with the best beef. Super fresh buns. Great toppings. Plus, it's only 20 minutes away from Exeter, 25 from Portsmouth. Not with a police escort, buddy. Light them up, Switchblade. Starboard Galley. They're here. 
That's the Starboard Galley, 55 Water Street, Newburyport. Great seafood and the best hamburger in the world. And tell them Juan Juan sent you. My dad, he's a double amputee and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. To me, a hero is someone who fights for our country and freedom. My dad is a hero. I'm sure our troops built this house, and my dad can get through the wide doorways. He can reach anything. Homes for Our Troops builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans and enables them to rebuild their lives. Join our mission at hfotusa.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Millitracks, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, what a show we have for you tonight. Girls, no one one, sorry. And uh, Mills Gills and Gigi Gills, no Coco. But um, filling, the <laughs> filling the void is our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Ward. Switchy. Great to be here filling the void. Hmm. Hmm. Almost in an impish mood because uh, no club tonight. Clubs at the Celtics game. Club who? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. There's your there's your t-shirt. Club who? Hey, where'd you get those glasses? They look like uh, the you get same those ones glasses? you get from Amazon. Yeah, I don't uh, get I those have, big uh, lady glasses though. What are those things? I have they two billion like... of them. And I can only find maybe one or two in the entire house. They look like Carol Channing. I need them. Hey, listen, I had seven of them lined up the other day. I almost took a picture and sent them to you and said, you know, critical mass here. This is it. I've easily got 15 glasses around the house or in the car, as it turns out. It's it's funny the way they they hide. It's almost like they are some kind of a rodent. That hides and scurries into little okay. dark places. I was going to say, uh, I was going to say a missing sock. But if you want to go the rodent, that's cool. Also, in the studio with us tonight is uh, UFO mechanic Alanello, looking up porn on his. Own. No, I'm, I'm actually checking out the uh, Boston Celtics score tonight. Oh really? And from what I can see, and I don't know, I club mean, is again, at the game. I don't know anything for. What's the score? Well, it, it seems to show the Spurs are 15 and the Celtics are 18. Okay, that makes it eighteen to fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Just, it just started. That's but it's okay. the first uh, whatever. It's six fifty one. But they better get going because because the Celtics favored by sixteen. You got to get going there, baby. Wow, make that spread. Anyway, uh, also with us is um, also with us is a good friend up there in Sideways New York, Raven. Raven, a fr- a favorite good witch, Raven. Hello, my friends. Thank you for having me. Okay. We're glad you're back. We get a lot of email. Glad that you're back. Are you glad you're back? Yeah, you are with, you know, five drunk am, white guys. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> for sure. Okay. All right. Super. We'll I'm, not take, that, I'm not that drunk. We'll take your word for it. But okay. Uh, Dr. Bob is also with Dr. Bob Gross out there in Chicago. Dr. Bob, how are you? Hello, everyone. Good to be here. You said earlier that you, you had some kind of spooky uh, situation in your apartment there. What's going on? 
I don't know. It's, it sounds like someone tapping on my walls. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. The raven oh. tap, tap, tapping on yeah. my door. Yeah. Uh, is there? How about your neighbors? Are they crazy? Oh, yeah, most of them. Okay, good then. <laughs> Problem solved. That's mystery solved. Not saying never more are they? No. no that no. comes next. Uh, Switchblade. Did I Switchy? Did I introduce you? No, I didn't. Down there in uh, Flat Tire, West Virginia. I'd remember that Switchy. The flat tire, West well, Virginia. You know. God, Can't Mac. be funny all the time. I mean, geez, Louise. I mean, <laughs> geez, Louise. I haven't heard that since kindergarten. All right. Yeah, so, I, haven't, I haven't heard that for like fifty years either. So, Switchy, for some reason, you have you have some kind of a look tonight. What is it? It looks like a beatnik have, or something. I have a look. Yeah, you have the b- big glasses, the big Carol Channing glasses, and you get a black turtleneck. <laughs> I don't know. Let's check with Raven and see what she thinks, if I have a look or not. Raven. I mean, like, it, it's his signature look, I would say. You don't it's think it's his sh- classic look. It really? I think yeah, it changes it up. Classic everywhere. Switchblade Steve Ward. Classic switch. Listen, I am one classic SOB. Yeah. I really? The only thing that's missing is a little cat. Yeah, where's no, the cat? Don't, 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 don't. Come on. We want the cat. We Please. want the cat. No, we don't. Uh, anyway, so... Um, Switchy has been with is with us, and um, let me put his bumper in right here. And now it's time for another story from the lost annals of the paranormal. It's time for Steve Ward's report from the fringe. What do you have for us tonight, Switch? Hey, Matt, do you have any idea? how many years I've been on this show. We don't want to know. I have no clue. Okay. No, no, no one does. No one knows. That's true. That's one of those things. Okay. What I have done tonight, I have taken a book by Nick Redfern. Now, you and Nick Redfern have actually an association. He has helped you uh, actually uh, with some of your books. Is that not true? He did fact he did fact checking on uh, UFOs in wartime and also beyond Area Fifty One. Nick Redfern, good guy. Well, this is a, a book called Three Hundred and Sixty Five Days of UFOs. It, it's really a great book because what he does, he goes through an entire year, and he talks about different UFO events hmm. in different on, on different days. Now the years are all vastly different, but. You know, he goes through the entire year. Okay, let's start out. March 9th, 1958. Fort Clayton Canal Zone, Panama. Location is a now-closed U.S. Army installation on the Panama Canal Zone called Fort Clayton. At about 8 p.m., a UFO, not a UAP, ladies and gentlemen, I don't talk about UAPs. I don't care what the the what they say. That's a UFO. Anyway, it was tracked by an anti-aircraft by anti-aircraft personnel in uh, the Canal Zone area, Fort Clayton Moore, and not the uh, only base not this was not the only base monitoring these unusual aerial this says unusual area activity. <clears throat> It was uh, it was one a.m. It was uh, by uh, uh, okay. I, I you know again, I hate to say UAP, but the radar staff at the Forest Ambassador 
Flamenco Island. We're also tracking something bizarre, something unknown. Uh, two UFOs, again, not UAPs, forgive me. Um, they, they, were, they were keeping a circular, bizarre motion pattern in the sky. Their heights went, and it was bizarre because when they were being tracked, it went from from 2,000 feet to 10,000 feet, as if they were being observed and didn't want to be observed. Uh, just by midnight, the personnel at Fort Amador decided to do some something different. They, they decided to bathe these bizarre objects in powerful ground-based searchlights. The UFOs went from, and that, that's when they jumped from 2,000 feet to 10,000 feet. It was such a, an incredible rapid movement that the track lock was actually completely unable to keep up with the rapid ascent of these unknown objects. And they believed that these were, there was not some kind of a, I don't know, apparition, strange light or whatever. They were solid. The activity of the two objects continued into the the early days of the early hours of March 10th. These objects accelerated up to speeds of 1,000 miles per hour. Okay, this is one just one of the many early UFO sightings that were um, chronicled back in the old days. March 11th, 1944. This is before 1947. Remember 1947 was the year that Kenneth Arnold said he saw these disks, these nine disks uh, flying across Washington State that started the, uh, you know, more modern day UFO mystery. Okay, this is 1944, London, England. This is from Gordon Crichton. Now, Gordon Crichton, if you remember, he was a, a phenomenal researcher. He was one of the ones that started, that was, uh, that followed the Flying Saucer Review. Flying Saucer Review was a great, great, great published uh, uh, British publication. Yes. From 1955 on. And uh, he was, uh, he he was one of these people that really uh, investigated seriously this type of phenomenon. He was also, and I did not know this. He was a diplomat and an intelligence officer at, at, at the same time. And this was, uh, now this, this particular incident was not recovered until March 28th, 1944. The details of this were of uh, this uh, uh, alleged crash. Now we know we've had many alleged crashes over the years. Roswell, Aztec, and so forth. And I, I admit I have been a little skeptical of, of some of these. But this one was revealed in, finally, in 1955. Do any of you remember Dorothy Kilgallen? Yes. Dorothy yes. Kilgallen was a great reporter back in yesteryear. She was actually, um, uh, one of the many things she did, she was on the, uh, oh, God, Mac, what was that show? The uh, What's My Line? Down You Go? or What's My Line? What's yeah, yes, line? what's my line? Thank you. Um, and uh, it, there was one Sunday night that she was on, and the next day she was dead, and they, can, well, they yes. said that she had had 
I don't know, alcohol and barbiturates or whatever, but then there were many others that said, well, she had some information on UFOs and so forth. But anyway. She was working on a uh, a story about the Kennedy assassination. You know, she was a well-known, also, yes, well-known also, national columnist. Also, the L.A. Examiner mm. said that she could, she reported that a British scientist, airman, after the examining of the wreckage, of a mysterious flying ship could say that this mysterious craft was not an illusion. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. Or a, a, it was it was something that was or a Soviet invention. And she said that uh, this had originated from the sources she had from another world. Kilty Gary Allen, Kilty Allen said. That this source of her information, this goes back a long ways, was from a British official of cabinet rank who remained, of course, unidentified and said, we believe that the saucers were staffed by small men under four feet tall. What? And there is no denying that these saucers came from another world, from another planet. This goes way back, and I don't know what to think of this. A flying ship of this type could not have been uh, constructed on this planet, is what they said, this this anonymous source, uh, that the British government is withholding an official report so as not to frighten the public. Okay. And here's the last little incident here. And, and this is all, again, from uh, uh, Nick Redfern's great book, 365 Days of UFO Encounters. Just a, a fascinating book. I mean, every page is, is fascinating. Okay. Loch Ness, Scotland, August 14, 1971. A Swedish investigator, Jan Sundberg, early a.m., he was in a wooded area near Foyers Bay. Now, if you look at a at a map of of uh, of the of Loch Ness, and you look down the sort of the right side, the east side, you will see where Foyers Bay is. She's going to look up. And mind. this this gentleman, this Jan Sundberg, was uh, he, he was fascinated by the Loch Ness phenomena. He found himself in a clearing uh, somewhere near the. Uh, Oh, the uh, eastern edge of the of the uh, uh, of the lock, and he he saw what he you know when when he first saw this, he thought this was a a a a crew of I mean he saw this object and he thought well these guys must be in a submersible that are 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 going to out and check the Loch Ness monster, then he takes a closer look at them, and they. Are a little bit odd. They're in these kind of uh, uh, spacesuits where they just don't look like real humans. And when they, and then when he sees them, he sees this craft sitting there that again he thinks is well, it must be a submersible. They they must be going out there to look for the Loch Ness monster. He sees these guys getting in there and climbing in there, and then instead of getting going up into the atmosphere they i mean instead of going into the water they go up into the atmosphere and 
and fly away. And he thinks, oh my God, what have I just experienced? What have I, I what have I just seen? And that was uh, just, just several of the amazing experiences that, that uh, Nick Redfern talks about mm -hmm. in this really fascinating book called 365 Days of UFO Encounters. You know, it, it makes me re it makes me think of um, makes me think about that um, what you talked about earlier. I mean, in shows uh, earlier shows where um, I think it was John Keel who kind of figured out that paranormal events happen on almost a schedule. You know, like a certain time of day, a certain time of year. You know, where the Earth is. You know, didn't he? Didn't he kind of? nail it down to kind of events happening almost well, in a calendar. He actually, you know, it, it was funny because he, uh, early on, he was asked by <laughs> Playboy Ma magazine to do a great uh, research project on the UFO phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he, he, he chronicled, a, 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 I don't know how many different, uh, uh, UFO reports, uh, UFO, oh God, what's the word? Um, uh, uh, no, I, I just can't think of the word. The, uh, news clipping series. Go ahead, yes. Would, he would pull them in. And, and and I remember there was a friend of mine, uh, Kevin, who uh, he and another guy, and God, I wish I'd been there. This is years ago. This is after the 1967 MUFA, no, not MUFA. <laughs> um, the uh, when when James Mosley had this incredible uh, uh, connection, this incredible conference, yes. of the 1916 UFO, um, credible. Uh, God, <laughs> uh, my my brain. Uh, sorry, Mac. It's all right. It's friendly me. Us too. But the uh, the. Uh, the Congress of Scientific Ufologists. Wow. That's, huh? well, that's what I want. That's why it took you a while. Oh, Go ahead. Thank you. I, I know. Listen, at it, 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 my age, Mac, it takes a while sometimes. What? You're 32. But anyway. Okay. Uh, but he, uh, this, this, he had uh, James Mosley, who was the, the uh, author of Saucer News for so many years. It started out for a few years as Nexus. But years later... He had this great, uh, one of the only great publications of saucer, you know, they used to call them flying saucer informations. Yes. And uh, it, was, it was just, God, you know, there are some reprints of some of this stuff, which are just fascinating. And uh, my, uh, uh, this, this friend of mine, Kevin, actually, it wasn't that year. It wasn't 1967. I think it must have been 1968. He had a... Um, he was able to actually, with a guy named Mark, visit right. Right. <laughs> John Keel. Oh, I mean, right. they they got his uh, address. They got his address somehow in New York City. Well, he lived on and, the Upper West Side, didn't he? Uh, I, I'm not sure, but man, how I wish I had been there. Jeez. So they, they went there. They actually, Kevin told me, we had the actual balls <laughs> to knock on this guy's door, and he opened it up, and here was John Keel. John Keel was in his PJs. He was sitting on the floor. They were all sitting on the floor, cross-legged, 
this was a probably the precursor to Keel. Uh, he, he was commissioned to do a uh, report on Playboy magazine, yes. sort of the the ultimate UFO expose. Yes, yes. And so he's he's there on In the Playboy. floor. This guy in his PJs with hundreds of articles from uh, news clipping services from all over the bloody world. And so my my friend Kevin and I, I God, you know, I, I have this fantasy about actually being there, but they were there. They, uh, Ed Keel was magnanimous. He, uh, for about an hour and a half, he talked to them and they, uh, they uh, just shared information. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was probably the beginning of his uh, great, great book called UFOs, Operation Trojan Horse. That was the book that actually completely changed my perspective on UFOs. That that book right there. Huh. That was uh, that was around the time of Strange Creatures from Time and Space when he talks about window areas and a few years later when he wrote the mothman prophecies so uh this was what what a great time this was you know and uh god you know i i had to live vicariously through my friend kevin who met john keel and uh went to the what was uh, back in 1967 was the congress get this ladies and gentlemen of scientific ufologists at the Commodore Motel in New York City, run by James Mosley, who ran Saucer News at that time. Man, oh man, you can find some of these old issues, some of this old stuff being reprinted here and there. But uh, I, I just, that is, was such a great time when, when so many of us, uh, and, and and back in those days, heck, I was just a like a, a babe in arms, man. I had uh, it was <laughs> it was the uh, in the middle '60s when oh god, it was March of 1966, Mac, when I first when when Doctor J. Allen Hynek. Oh. I think you're talking about Julius Michigan because of those the, the, the marsh gas sightings. Yes, I remember that. What year was that? Switchy, what year was the marsh gas? 66. 1966. Because that was a big I story. Was, I was there watching his uh, uh, his conference, live conference in Michigan, when he suggested that and he was tied to the Air Force. He had to pretend like he was objective and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even though Heineck knew the Air Force was full of shit, yes. and he was not. Okay. So yeah, he's he, fun... he actually suggested that some of them might be, some of them might be swamp gas. See, someone should and... do a good movie, a good biography, but a good movie about J. Allen Hynek because he's the guy who worked for the Air Force and then flipped because he saw, he saw you know, information, he saw intelligence that told him. I mean, once again, it's like ghosts. If one UFO story is true, then they're all true. You know what I mean? If there's one flying saucer, then they're all true. And he believed that there was something else out there. Now, here we are 40 years later talking about it. And, Mac, in 1976, 10 years later, 
I, as a kid in Michigan, went to the 1976 MUFON Symposium in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He was there, man, and he had separated from the uh, from Project Blue Book. He was his own man. He had started the Center for UFO Studies. And I was there listening to this man talk about, and his talk was swamp gas plus 10 and counting. <laughs> yeah, really? I have that recording on a CD <laughs> because I was there with my this little nerd with my uh, cassette recorder at the time. So, uh, God, what a great man. And fortunately, his son is out there occasionally on shows like Ancient Aliens continuing on his legacy thank god for the heinigs yes and they're the ones who came up with that maneuver right <laughs> oh. wow uh, was it Boom. no i'm thinking of the guy that invented the stethoscope and mixing go. it up <laughs> wow switchy let's give oh, switchy oh. Wow. well done thank you great, great job man. switch great memories wow and, wow and it was just uh it was you know, Nick Redfern does a phenomenal job, as you know, Matt. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, yeah, in this book, 365 Days of UFOs, my God, you will uh, be uh, uh, stimulated and excited okay. beyond belief. If wow, you pick up this beyond book belief. And you read it from page to page. I hate to say it, Switch. That's going to take a bit. But listen, Nick Redfern, British guy living in Dallas. Of all places. I, you know, I know it. I said to Maja, wind up there, man. <laughs> and I, and you know what? Mac, I've seen him speak, and he still sounds yeah. a little bit like a Brit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He still has the accent. I think it gives it that authority. You know, for some reason, when you hear an English person talk, it's like they all went to freaking Oxford. You know, because it just yeah, it sounds adds, It adds a credibility. It yeah, sounds there's a credibility so to good, it. you know? It's yeah. like butter on toast, just really? melting. It sounds so good. Wow, excuse me. It's like watching American Werewolf in London, you know? <laughs> Listening to the girl talk. I, I definitely a, want a lady to tell me that I, I, I sound like butter on toast. Yeah. Someday. Wow, I can give you a number if you have a credit card. <laughs> That's true. I mean, oh, if you have if you have a credit card, we can literally make anything happen. Oh, 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 listen, I've got a credit card and it's got an endless number of room on it. <laughs> okay, all right. Do you, you grow a uh, catnip there, Switchy? <laughs> you bet, baby. You bet, baby. You baby. Did you get into it today? <laughs> Can you send us some? Well, listen, leave them laughing. I put up the train wreck there, Switchy. I know you've been waiting to do it. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, listen. Uh, let me uh, do the train wreck. Keep thing. the cats out of it. Well, he's Are we doing there it. already? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. This well, one I, I, flew by. This was so fun. Like we missed a couple of stations on the way, as it turns out. But look at while Switchy is searching that, I want to say, you know, uh, uh, please. Homes Rod Troops. Homes Rod Troops is an organization that um, raises money for our veterans, our wounded veterans in action after uh, 9 11. That's the Afghan war and also the um, Iraqi war. And these are people who came home missing a limb usually. And what happens is uh, Homes Rod Troops builds them the home on uh, our donations and also corporate donations. And they make the home a little more adaptable to their needs. So not a lot of stairs, low counter space, stuff like that. You've heard us talk about them uh, a lot. Homes for our troops, 90% of your dollar 
uh, goes to our veterans, which is a really high um, percentage in the um, charity biz. Um, basically what happens, they build them the house, then they tear up the mortgage, then give them the keys, and they can go out and live you know, life that's a little more, um, I don't know, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, a little more adaptable. I can't think of the word. But just um, go on to uh, Google, please. Look, uh, blah, blah, blah. Google Home Start Troops, see what they're about. And uh, as we were talking about earlier on the show, um, that uh, anyone of our fans who gives more than 20 bucks, 20 bucks or more to Home Start Troops, donates it to them. Um, just uh, they give you a, a little option to write and comment. Just say, you know, we heard about it on Max show, and we'll send you a free copy, of autographed copy of a Mac Maloney book, okay? Over 20 bucks, home for our troops. That's good. Switchy, how you doing? Yeah. Well, you, you know what? Something weird happened to Uh-oh. my computer recently. <laughs> really? I can't find the damn train wreck. No, no, for that's Christ's not sake. Sake. No. Anyway. Wow. I know it. It's like it's horrible. I'm sure it'll be there. Ask I see the a little kitty coming in in the background. I was going to say the she's, cat she's is probably like she's going to eat it. Oh yeah. According to Max, she'll wreck the show. <laughs> get that, <laughs> get that cat's ear out of it. Even well, the ear itself is. Irritating. I don't know what to do. Look at that. All the all the all the cat wants to do is eat. That's the whole idea. They they get they railroad all you people. Okay, they just want to eat. That's why they come up and they cuddle and then boom, boom, open up the can. Switch, switch, grab both cats and put them together head to head. It'll be the train wreck. There you go. And cat stuff. <laughs> While he's saying that, I want to say thank you to our guest, Dr. Bob. Thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We, we thank you, Dr. Bob. Thank you. <laughs> Let's clap for him, okay, because he is a doctor. And it's good to know doctors, as it turns out. But whatever you Switch, need. what are you yes. doing? Switch. You be on YouTube. This is so I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for some porn slide to show up. We were on Skype together. And they that uh, hello? see my image. For the listener, Switch is just going through filters right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Oh, he's got a little piece of Wow. Okay, I'll switch. Blank. I'm do just it just this. do it twice next next week. Okay, thank you, Switchy. Really appreciate it. Thank you, El Renato. Okay, run away to the galley. Thank you, thank you, Raven. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Yeah, it was a funny night. So um, let's see. I think that's it. I just want to remind everyone. Remember, John McCain was not a loser. He was someone that we look up to. He was a disabled veteran. He's a hero in this country. You don't make fun of those people. So until next time, this is Mac for the entire gang saying be safe, be happy, and
Hey, Mac Maloney fans, this is Pistol Pete, and I'm sitting here with the one and only Mac Maloney. Hi, Mac. Hi, Pete. Now, Mac, you've got a new book out called How to Dump a Body at Sea and Not Get Caught that you wrote with our pal, famous crime novelist, Mark Zapula. How did this whole thing come about? Well, Mark and I have this uh, mutual friend that we would go out uh, having beers with every once in a while, and he had the same 20 stories that he would tell us kind of over and over again. And at some point, I said, you know, we should write these down. And we did, and it turned into a book. It's such a crazy title. How'd you come up with it? Well, kind of the same thing. We're in the bar talking to this uh, friend of ours one night, and he just said, you know how to get rid of a body at sea and not get caught. And, of course, we didn't know. And so uh, he told us. And uh, the secret is in the book, but I can say that it involves a lot of chain link fence and some crabs. Now, Mac, you gave me an advanced copy of the book. And like I said before, it's one of the funniest things I've ever read. It reminded me of The Sopranos if The Sopranos had a laugh track. Thanks, Pete. But it also gives you instructions on how to do some pretty shady stuff, stuff not exactly legal. Well, yeah, the book is about the true life adventures of a juvenile delinquent growing up in Boston in the late 1980s. So you get a lot of the inside stuff like the best way to steal a car, the best way to burn a car, how to make fake IDs, things like that. But in one chapter, you actually tell people how to turn an old broken down Toyota into a brand new Rolls Royce in five easy steps, and it actually works. Uh, Yeah, I know it sounds crazy. I didn't believe it until I saw the proof, but yes, it actually works. Now, one last question. There's a lot of laughs in the book, but also a lot of pretty crazy stuff, legal and illegal. Is it really all true? It's really all true, but um, on the advice of a publisher, they've asked us not to say anything beyond that for legal reason. But yes, it is all true. Well, thanks, Mac. That's How to Dump a Body at Sea and Not Get Caught, the Al Ferrari story by Mac and crime writer Mark Zapula. Get it today on Amazon.